alt-right neo-Nazi white supremacist and anti-Semite Richard Spencer has endorsed Joe Biden for president. And no, I did not make that up. That actually happened. Unless the world and my imagination have now changed places, which at this point is a distinct possibility. In a speech he delivered in make-believe German while goose-stepping back and forth in front of the mirror in his underwear, Spencer said, quote, Speaking as a hateful racist slimeball, I have to admit Donald Trump has been a big disappointment to me. I was repeatedly assured he was the worst bigot ever sent to the Oval Office, and instead he created more jobs for black people than any president before him. I was excited when I heard he said there were good people in the white supremacy movement, but it turned out that was just another lie. Meanwhile, Joe Biden and the Democrats have inspired an entire movement that burns down black neighborhoods, denigrates black people in authority, and is even attempting to defund the police, which is sure to get way more black people killed. And I'm thinking, whoa, doggy, that's a party I want to belong to. I mean, the Democrats are the party of Linda Sarser, Ilham Omar, and Rashida Tlaib. Man, I have swastikas tattooed on my private parts, and I don't even consider myself worthy to be in that company. When it comes to hating Jews, I'm just a lowly neo-Nazi. I can only dream of one day becoming a Democrat, unquote. After his speech, while enjoying a glass of milk with the... After his speech, while enjoying a glass of milk with the centers of some super stuffed Oreos, Spencer reflected on his disappointment with the Trump administration, saying, quote, when they told me Trump would be worse than Hitler, I really got my hopes up. I should have known. They say that about every Republican. And in the end, they just break your heart, unquote. Spencer said he did not think Joe Biden would unleash a Holocaust, but he added, you've got to start somewhere. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. All right, we are back again, laughing our way through the fall of the Republic. Uh, if, we, if we can finish the show before that happens, we'll be happy. Uh, please go on YouTube and subscribe to the Andrew Claven YouTube channel. We really need you to do this because if you don't, uh, we have to come to your house and, you know, commit acts of vandalism. And we don't like doing that. Uh, so please subscribe and leave a comment. And if the comment is like this far above brain dead, we will consider it to have raised the level of conversation on this show. And we'll read it out loud today. Ben Wells has asked, he says, I wonder if Clavin's wife knows who he's talking to up there in the loft every weekday. <laughs> Probably not. I'm not sure she cares. It's like, <laughs> she's just glad I'm out of the way. You know, it's like, just keep him away from me. I don't care. Uh, so the more I think about this, I've been thinking a, a lot about conservatives and where we stand. And I think conservatives too often make the mistake of confusing effects with causes. The other day, Netflix announced it would be streaming a movie called Cuties that sexualizes little girls, 11-year-olds. I think I mentioned this. Uh, the poster showed these children in suggestive poses. And when people complained, Netflix apologized for the poster, pretending they didn't realize that the problem was the film itself. This film is just the latest attempt by Western artists and intellectuals to normalize the rape of children. Talhead, The Woodman, The Reader, Little Children, these are all movies in which child abuse is either made to seem sympathetic or those who disapprove of it are made to seem small-minded and hypocritical. Venues like the New York Times are now openly making this argument, as they did in one op-ed entitled, Pedophilia, a Disorder, Not a Crime, as if it couldn't be both. 
But of course, pedophilia is just the next step in a culture that praises abortion as a right and glorifies fetishes and perversions, turning us into meat puppets who have no inner life and doesn't matter what we do with our bodies. A similar orgy of sexual ugliness took place uh, in Germany in the prelude to the rise of the Nazis. Not a lot of people talk about this because they kind of portray it like cabaret, like divine decadence. But girls were dressing like boys and boys were dressing like girls. Very young kids uh, were giving and selling their bodies and bragging about it. Uh, it was, I think then, as I think it is now, a, reje- a rejection by young people of the values they thought had failed them. If the older generation's patriotism and economic conservatism had led to nothing but world war and financial ruin, why should they accept the worth of other basic values like manly honor and feminine virtue? America has, uh, there's a lot of this that goes into America. And I, I blame my generation, basically. I, I blame the baby boomers who uh, got rid of those values, but felt that they had been betrayed in Vietnam. Now, America has been at war in Afghanistan for 20 years. We're in debt up to our noses. That can't go well. Our infrastructure is rotten and our technological advance is slowed. The left is offering us nothing but ruinous socialism justified by self-hatred and the right too often offers contentless Christianity and Christless prosperity, which I'll talk about more. Both sides have let government spending and different forms of globalism undermine the welfare of our own citizens. As always, I think we need to recover our history and the trajectory of thought since the year one on which we have built a concept of what a human being is, what his rights are, and what his purpose is. This is officially a sick society now. I think we all kind of agree on that. We have to fight the symptoms, but we need to find the cure. All right, let us talk about the cure for your smile. You want to have a great smile. It makes a big difference, especially when they come around. They take Everybody takes those selfies. You want to really look nice. Candid can help. Candid clear aligners are comfortable, removable, totally invisible. Unlike wire braces, you can transform your smile without anyone noticing. Your treatment is prescribed and monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who's an expert in tooth movement. Candid only works with orthodontists, never just general dentists like some other companies do. And with some of those other companies, you may never hear from a doctor as you go through treatment. That is ridiculous. With Candid, your treatment includes remote monitoring by the same orthodontist who created your plan. The average candid treatment is just six months and you'll start seeing results way before then. If you are ready to take the first step toward getting your dream smile, get started today from the comfort of your own home with Candid's risk-free starter kit and $75 off. Go to candidco.com slash Clavin and use code Clavin. That's candidco.com slash Clavin, code Clavin for your risk-free starter kit and $75 off. Candidco.com slash Clavin, code Clavin. So you have a big smile on your face when you say, how do you smell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. So, <laughs> so the RNC has started its convention. Uh, they officially nominated Donald Trump. And some really big differences in tone, I think, between this convention and the DNC. Let's play. We put together, our guys put together a little montage of DNC attitudes. This is cut number one. Jesus will say, America, if you don't get your act together, you can, you may well go to hell. You may rise or kneel if you are able for your preference. This future that we all want, that we're all trying to build, um, really is about the destruction of colonization, white supremacy, and capitalism. I know when my son was murdered, there was a big uprising, but then it settled down. We can't let things settle down. Amid a national reckoning on racial injustice in this country, 
communities from Boston to Portland and everywhere in between are rising up. A movement striving to recognize and repair the wounds of racial injustice, colonization, misogyny, and homophobia. Folks who know they cannot win fair and square at the ballot box are doing everything they can to stop us from voting. So you're seeing uh, an America that's intrinsically wrong, intrinsically damaged from the DNC. The Republicans see the Democrats as the threat, which is normal in politics. You're supposed to see the other party as the threat, but the Democrats see America itself as the threat. And the other difference is that Trump has remade the Republican Party into the party of the working man and woman. This wasn't always true. Unions used to be the big appeal of the Democrats. They still are, but they don't help. What Trump has realized, and too many conservatives have not caught up with, we had a big uh, argument about this on the all-access after the backstage, is that business is not always right. The corporations are not on our side anymore, and corporations are power centers just like anything else. The left used to know this. Now that the corporations are on their side, they don't care about it anymore. We have to. If our rights are given from God, they can be taken away from different kinds of power centers. So this blind love of capitalism, and I love capitalism. Capitalism is a great thing, but this blind love of capitalism above our values and above the good of our people is a mistake. Trump is correcting that mistake. That's a big, big deal, and it makes a big difference uh, as this convention goes forward. It's being watched by more people than the DNC convention, and I think it's going to be a lot more interesting. What was really interesting to me, uh, a lot of people... Um, this is going to be the only time that a lot of people see the, the conservative or Republican point of view. Remember, most people, many people are getting their news, especially older people are getting their news from TV. They don't know it's biased. Young people don't know it's biased. I had a young person say to me just the other day, you know, kind of uh, outrage. What do you think? The New York Times is going to lie to me? <laughs> the New York Times? You know, almost every word in the New York Times is a lie by omission or commission. Uh, the way they frame their stories is absurd. Uh, their spreading of terror, the, the way they misuse uh, um, statistics in dealing with the China flu, all these things. So this is going to be the one time that people get to see somewhat unfiltered. Uh, if they're just watching, especially on C-SPAN, they're, if they're just watching what the Republicans are saying, it's the only time they'll get to see this. So the politicians came out and they did a good job. Nikki Haley did a good job. And one of the themes of the first day was countering this constant barrage of you're racist, you're racist, you're racist. So Nikki Haley said America is not racist, cut 15. In much of the Democratic Party, it's now fashionable to say that America is racist. That is a lie. America is not a racist country. This is personal for me. I am the proud daughter of Indian immigrants. They came to America and settled in a small southern town. My father wore a turban. My mother wore a sari. I was a brown girl in a black and white world. We faced discrimination and hardship, but my parents never gave in to grievance and hate. You know, uh, she was immediately uh, brought on by George Stephanopoulos, uh, the man who helped uh, silence uh, women abused by Bill Clinton and the, on the network that helped silence the Jeffrey Epstein story while Hillary Clinton was running, just so you remember. And, you know, Stephanopoulos said, what, is, what have you people done to, you know, what has Trump done to get rid of the hatred that we've spread by misquoting him? And, uh, you know, she pointed out that his, he's created the lowest unemployment uh, for African-Americans and Hispanics. And she said that didn't happen under Obama-Biden. It happened under him, more funding for historically black colleges criminal justice reform, all these things that he has actually done while the press has taken the fact that he is a loudmouth guy uh, and taken everything out of context. context. Uh, Tim Scott, also excellent speech. 
these these the two these were the two best of the politicians uh, of the pros in the in the uh, in the lineup. Uh, he he talked about his own personal journey, his family's journey is cut eighteen. My grandfather's ninety ninth birthday would have been tomorrow. Growing up, he had to cross the street if a white person was coming. He suffered the indignity of being forced out of school as a third grader to pick cotton, and he never learned to read or write. Yet, he lived long enough to see his grandson become the first African-American to be elected to both the United States House and the United States Senate in the history of this country. Our family went from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. And that's why I believe the next American century can be better than the last. Now, that is a different message than Kamala Harris, who has the same story to tell and has told the same story and is now a vice presidential candidate in this country. The same story to tell, but it believes that the country is inherently racist all the same. What they are saying, what the Republicans are saying is that, you know, I, Nobody denies that racism exists. Nobody denies the history of racism specifically in this country, though, because this country is more uh, multi-ethnic than other countries, it's going to have more problems. And there was, of course, the Democrat Jim Crow laws that the Democrats kept fighting for all those years because the Democrats lost their slaves uh, in the war against the Republicans called the Civil War uh, that. You know, that the country still, we live in time, the country moves forward into its ideals and has moved forward dramatically uh, in Tim Scott's lifetime, in my lifetime, certainly. Uh, and this is an important thing. And then there's the personal thing about Donald Trump himself. You know, it's really interesting to me that even John Bolton, who did everything he can to discredit Donald Trump, who hated, obviously hated Donald Trump, when asked if Trump was a bigot, said, no, he's not. I never saw that. Herschel Walker, football player, friend of Trump's. He says the same thing. This is a uh, cut number 10. It hurt my soul to hear the terrible name that people call Donald. The worst one is racist. I take it as a personal insult that people would think I've had a 37 year friendship with the racist. People who think that don't know what they're talking about. Growing up in the deep South, I've seen racism up close. I know what it is and it isn't Donald Trump. This is this is important. You know, Donald Trump has been a uh, guy who's been awarded uh, prizes from the NAACP. He's been friends with all of the civil rights workers, uh, even some that I don't like. He's been friends with Jesse Jackson and things like that. And the guy clearly is not on a racist agenda. He, I mean, it's obvious that he's not. He's obviously racially insensitive, which personally, I wish we could bring back a little racial insensitivity. To, to, being absolutely honest about this, I think that we should tease each other. I think that we should say things to each other, uh, you know, make jokes about each other. I think that that alleviates tensions. It doesn't, it adds to tensions to cut off the, you know, the natural interchange of people, especially among men. I, you know, I'll just say that, especially among men. I think men have a tendency to, to tease each other, uh, to insult each other, to make jokes about things that they're not supposed to make jokes about. I think that silencing that, make, get, making sure you get fired for that actually makes things worse. Are you supposed to like a guy when you're not allowed to kid around with him? Are you supposed to like a guy when you can't uh, hit him, uh, you know, insult him like you insult all, all your other friends 
Uh, you know, I mean, if I insult Knowles, but I can't insult, insult Black Knowles, uh, does that make me more friendly with Black Knowles? No. I mean, obviously it doesn't. I mean, obviously those insults are ways that men talk. So I'd like to see more racial insensitivity on Trump. Exemplifies that. He exemplifies a guy who's trying to fix things. He, Trump is just a fixer. That's all he, the, the only way he sees it, sees himself. And does that sometimes create problems with the way he talks? Yes, it does. Does it sometimes create problems in his personality, which can be unkind to people who insult I think it does. You know, I think those are problems. But to call him racist is just unfair. So, but they have to. And this is their thing. The fact that Democrats have not done anything for black people, the fact that I think black people in this country are suffering from Democrat problems, are suffering from Democrat so-called sensitivity, that all of Democrat programs serve white people. They serve white people's guilt, but they don't serve black people. They have to cover this up. So, of course, the press is there. CNN immediately attacks having, you know, people like Nikki Haley, uh, an Indian of Indian descent, Tim Scott, Herschel Walker. They immediately attack this as tokenism. Here's CNN cut to. I think Tim Scott and Nikki Haley are there to say, listen, uh, maybe Donald Trump isn't as, you know, as racist as you think he is or as racist as he often sounds, because here is Tim Scott praising him. Here is Nikki Haley uh, praising him. And there are a number of other African-Americans uh, woven throughout tonight. How much do you think of some of this tonight was sort of giving permission to more moderate white voters that, you know what, it's okay for you to vote for Donald Trump despite his rhetoric on his, you know, his, some of his racist rhetoric. That's amazing stuff. I mean, look, it's CNN. We know what they are. They're just a DNC uh, spokespeople. Uh, But still, you know, CNN literally broke in to fact check Trump in the middle of the convention. They thought, oh, how, on, how honest is that? But they didn't break in on Obama when he mischaracterized the Constitution, saying it was all about democracy, when he said that, oh, the rioters were still burning down Kenosha, Wisconsin. You know, they're, they're kind of the uh, absolute fulfillment of the founders' dreams, which is a lie. They didn't break in on that. They didn't break in when Michelle Obama said Republicans put children in cages when those cages were built by her husband's administration and people were kept in them as well during that. They didn't break in on Biden saying Trump said that good people were on both sides because they've been spreading that lie <laughs> since the beginning. But what does it say, just, just for a minute, what does it say about you? And this is another part of the Republican and especially the, the Trump-publican agenda, that, that Trump is for the ordinary guy. I mean, this has been, you know, they call it populism, but, I, you know, populism is a kind of weird thing because populism can be just uh, demagoguery, and I don't think that's what this is. It's a real feel for ordinary people, and so uh, all the Pundits were impressed with Tim Scott and Nikki Haley because they're politicians. But really, a lot of this is about ordinary people and ordinary people's lives. What does it say that CNN broke in on the story as it's unfolding? Because the story is the RNC convention, just like last week. It was the DNC convention. You never heard me complain that they covered 90 percent of the DNC convention without breaking in. I didn't complain about that. I complained about their rapturous praise. But still, what does it say about their attitude toward you? And I think this is the thing about the, the Democrats and about the left. They have to break in because they can't let you see for yourself. You can't make up your own mind. You have to be guided by them. And isn't that what the left is saying all the way down? You can't spend your own money. You can't be trusted to build your own business. You can't be trusted to think your own thoughts. They've got to do it for you. If you think for yourself, one of the first things you're going to think is stamps.com, of course, because otherwise you got to go to the post office. Now, I love the post office. I've been living off the post office all of my life. But 
If I can have the post office, I can stuff the post office into my computer with all the other stuff that's in there. That works best for me because I don't have to go. I don't have to wait online and all of that stuff. Thousands of small business owners have discovered the benefits of stamps.com in recent months. They've been able to keep their businesses running and avoid the crowds at the post office all from their own computers. You save money with discounted rates. You can't even get at the post office. And stamps.com also offers UPS services with discounts up to 62% and no residential surcharges. Stamps.com brings all the mailing and shipping services you need right to your computer in the comfort of your home or office. And right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Clavin. That's Stamps.com. Enter Clavin. I know you're frozen. You're frozen. Your hand's hovering above the keyboard, just trembling. They're shaking hand because you don't know. How do I, how, how, how do I spell Clavin? That's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's uh, in Clavin. I just, I make it look this easy. That's it. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I, when I was really impressed with this, some of the other people uh, who talked about Trump, and this, of course, is the other thing, because so much of the DNC convention was about orange man bad, orange man bad, orange man mean, orange man evil, the whole thing. And I just liked the stories that they told about Trump as an ordinary guy. My favorite moment still in the Trump presidency uh, is the moment when the Marine's hat blew off and Trump, without thinking, chased it down. Because Trump does think of himself as an ordinary guy. Obviously, he thinks of himself as the super ordinary guy. He thinks of himself as the avatar of ordinary people. But he still thinks of himself as a guy from Queens who chases down a Marine's hat and puts it back on his head. Uh, you know, you can't imagine Barack Obama even gesturing to do that instinctively, who thought he was basically had descended to lead us from above. Uh, Jim Jordan made a really nice speech. Uh, he gave a uh, he, he gave a talk about at one point about a, a state wrestling champ who was his nephew uh, who died tragically, really tragic story, died in a, um, uh, a car accident. And Jordan was going to visit the family. And while he was walking in to visit the family, Trump called him on the phone and Jordan asked if he would if Trump would talk to the father and Trump did. So here's just a little cut of this. I walked through the door and said, Todd, the president wants to talk to you. For the next five minutes, family and friends sat in complete silence as the president of the United States took time to talk to a dad who was hurting. That's the president I've gotten to know the last four years. The president who shared private moments like this with soldiers, victims of violent crime, and people who've had businesses destroyed by the mob. That's the individual who's made America great again and who knows America's best days are still in front of us. You know, and there was it was also this guy, Maximo uh, Alvarez. He's the uh, Cuban who is, guy who escaped from Cuba and built a very successful gas distribution business. And he was talking about the comparison between communist countries and a free country like America still is for the moment. Here he is. My families don't run away. By the grace of God, I live the American dream. The greatest blessing I ever had. My dad only had a sixth grade education, told me, don't lose this place. You'll never be as well against me. I'm speaking to you today because my family is done abandoning what we rightfully earned. There's no place to hide. I choose President Trump because I choose America, I choose freedom, 
Well, I still hear my dad. There is no other place to go. Uh, I, you know, I find that very moving because this is a story that Ronald Reagan used to tell uh, where he said to a, a Cuban refugee, I believe it was a Cuban refugee, um, you know, you're very lucky. And he said, and the refugee said, no, I was lucky because I had some place to go. If this place goes, you have no place to go. And, and that's true. You know, this is an island of freedom still. And, you know, I'm watching this thing in Kenosha, this Jacob Blake, the guy who was shot. And there's a new angle of the video where it looks like the guy is holding something in his hand. Could be a knife. I don't know. In the new angle, you can see him struggling with the police, fighting the police. Uh, he's got a warrant, had a warrant out for his arrest. He has a warrant out for his arrest right now. He's still alive. He has a warrant out for his arrest for abusing women. Uh, and the press is just selling this, is selling the violence. And meanwhile, the violence is getting personal. In Washington, this is happening around the In Washington, they were shouting at diners on the street because all the restaurants are out on the street. Here, they actually went into the restaurant. And these are Black Lives Matter people instigated by the press. There's just no other way to say it. Shouting at these people saying, raise your fist. And a woman stands up to them. She says, no, I'm not going to raise my fist. And they just torment her. Listen to this. Yeah, so you know they're they're screaming through a, a bullhorn, white supremacist, uh, racist, because the woman refuses to join this violent Marxist terrorist movement. It is a violent Marxist terrorist movement. That is what it is. And you can call it Black Lives Matter. You can call it I Love Puppies. You can call it My Little Pony, whatever you want to call it. It is a violent Marxist terrorist movement that is opposed to this country. And on top of which, all the facts that it is based on aren't facts. The police do not routinely kill innocent black offenders. They do not, innocent black inoffenders. They, they do not do that. When when um, the DNC makes speeches saying, oh, you know, the long list, the endless list of Michelle Obama said the endless list of names. It's not an endless list of names. It's not even a, it's a countable number of people who were shot by police while they were unarmed. But that doesn't mean they weren't driving a car at the police. That didn't mean they weren't reaching for a gun. It doesn't mean they weren't saying, you know, saying I will reach for a gun. Look, you know, the cops' safety comes first. And obviously that doesn't mean they should open fire. Obviously they have to be highly trained. They have to know what they're doing. But the narrative that they are racist and are out there killing black people is, is false. It's just a false one. It doesn't, it isn't held up by the numbers. And whenever you point that out, they say, well, what about the lived experience by blacks? Well, we all have lived experience. It doesn't mean it's in keeping with reality. It doesn't mean it's in keeping with the issue. The issue was ginned up by Barack Obama to cover up the fact that his administration was a failure. He played the race card when his policies didn't work because he couldn't admit that his policies didn't work. And the support, remember, the support that they are giving to these people in the press routinely is part of the problem, if not the whole problem. If they weren't getting that support, I think Trump would probably have acted more harshly. I think some of the governors would have acted more harshly. They did call in the National Guard uh, in Wisconsin. Here's Mark and Patricia McCloskey. They were speaking there. They're the people in St. Louis who took out their guns to protect their property when the mob uh, came. 
It seems as if the Democrats no longer view the government's job as protecting honest citizens from criminals, but rather protecting criminals from honest citizens. Not a single person in the out-of-control mob you saw at our house was charged with a crime. But you know who was? We were. They've actually charged us with felonies for daring to defend our home. And once again, you know, this is this is important that, you know, obviously these guys, guys like uh, the Cuban businessman, these are guys who've made it, Herschel Walker guys who've made it, but they made it because the country allows people to make it. They made it because they took responsibility for themselves. And it, it's it's just not right. It is just not right to defend bullies and vandals and arsonists. It ain't right. The, if, if this is a revolution, if you are joining a revolution, then we have the right to call out the army and put that revolution down. That's how you handle a revolution. But if you're just causing terror, and that's really what they're doing, if you're just causing terror and intimidation, you know, one of the great words that I love that they use all the time is divisive. And the idea that somebody is divisive in politics is a nonsense, right? Of course, politics is divisive. You want us to win and them to lose. But the fact that the press routinely calls it divisive when Trump and the Republicans point to this violence going on in our cities really raises the question of what, what is their idea of honesty? What, what, when they go to work in the morning, what do they say? When you put on your tie in the morning, these journalists, what is their idea of honesty? Is it not divisive to burn down a city? Is it not divisive to get in a woman's face with a mob, a mob in a woman's face and say, if you don't raise your fist, we're going to call you racist and we're going to call you evil names and, you know, ugly names. Is, is that not divisive? And is it not divisive? Is it divisive to point that out, that it's happening, not just in Portland, not just in Seattle, not just in Wisconsin, but in Chicago, in Washington, and all these other places. It's happening around the country, and it's being covered up by the press when it's not being played down. On CBS, they were calling this a mostful, mostly, uh, the Kenosha demonstration is mostly peaceful as the city is on fire, as businesses are being burned, and a lot of them black businesses, of course. You know, it's, it's, it is the problem. It is the problem that if normal politics is going on, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with the DNC attacking Trump. That's part of their job. That's what they should do. I don't have a problem with Trump fighting back and attacking the Democrats. The problem is the refs are, are bought. The problem is we're living in a dirty game, a, a game that has been skewed. And that that really is the trouble. I'll show you what I mean in just a second. But first, let's talk about something much more pleasant, namely paint your life. You'll love to have nice artwork on your wall, but why shouldn't it be artwork that represents you and your family. I got one of these. They they let me have one to let me test the product. And it really was good. I just sent them a photograph and they, uh, an actual artist, this is not done by machine, an actual artist hand painted that photograph to turn it into a really attractive picture. It was really nice and they can use any photo. It's an affordable. Uh, you can choose your artist and the artist will stay in touch with you and tell you what's going on and let you see things along the way. It's a user-friendly platform uh, that lets you order a custom-made hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. It's a quick, easy process, and it makes a nice gift. You know, obviously, you can get your dog and get your family, get your kids, whatever you want. It's meaningful, personal, and you can keep it forever. Please, uh, at PaintYourLife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word ANDREW to 64000 
64,000. That's Andrew to 64,000. Text Andrew to 64,000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. So Matt Walsh is still recovering from his uh, DNC watch party. But tonight I will be watching the RNC, uh, dailywire.com. I'll be live streaming President Trump's speech and watching with you, taking your comments and questions. This starts at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific for an hour. Uh, I'll be there, uh, you know, just looking at the TV and wishing I were doing something else. Uh, But at least you'll be there, too. And so we'll all suffer together. Sign up for your all access membership at dailywire.com slash Clavin with coupon code access to get 20% off your membership. You not only get these all-access meetings with us, you get the two leftist tears tumblers. What else do I need to say? Once you get two, I mean, two leftist tears tumblers and also all kinds of uh, access to to the site. Sign up. Let me give you that again. It's dailywire.com slash Clavin coupon code access. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. All right. So I talking talking about the dirty press, the corrupt press, the completely uh, low and evil press. I just want to play two montages. Here is first a, a montage that we played last week of the network uh, covering the DNC. This is the network's covering covering the Democrats. This is cut six. A different kind of fierce there from Michelle Obama and explaining what she means by going high in these times, in this moment in history, kind of a sermon on empathy, but she also wielded a sledgehammer against President Trump in that speech, direct and forceful. A character endorsement of Joe Biden, but a searing indictment of Donald Trump, and also an exhortation to go out and vote early, as she said, and in person, if you can. Extraordinary speech by the First Lady, and I can't help think about even her in that earlier documentary this this year, Becoming, where she talked about her trauma. I kept thinking of the, on alarms where it says, break glass in case of emergency. There was glass all over the place by the end of this speech. This was an emergency speech mm-hmm. by someone who's not a politician, who has written one of the most successful books in modern times. Here's the network's coverage of the first night of the Republican convention, Cut Five. These next four days are supposed to be more optimistic and hopeful, but based on what we've seen so far today, there are questions about whether the Trump team are going to stick to that plan. The president kicking things off today gave a speech full of grievances, and he has been painting a fairly apocalyptic picture of what will happen if he is not reelected. Well, right now it feels like a base convention or disaffected Republicans of who they're trying to talk to. But so far, so far, uh, at least this night, it has been a lot of red meat. Not so much optimism and hope. We've heard a lot of talk about violence in the streets, unrest right now, Black Lives Matter, the police. No talk about what's roiling the streets of Kenosha, Wisconsin right And, and what's interesting, if I can, I'm just hung up a little bit about Nikki Haley, a comment that she made, America is not a racist country. I think that that's a statement that a lot of black people, black and brown people would take umbrage with. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Somebody tweeted online, uh, Nikki Haley said there's no racism in America. That's not what she said. She said it's not a racist country. If that woman thinks this is a racist country, she's never been anywhere. She's never left the country. She's never traveled anywhere. Because if you compare it to any place on earth, any place on earth, it is the least racist country. That's just true. That is just the truth. And it's the least racist country that has the kind of large mix of different kinds of people that it has. One of the biggest things that they're trying to stop, not just the the 
idea that the Republicans aren't racist. They do not want you to see that. They do not want you to think it. They do not want the thought to enter your head. But the other thing is that it's somehow, first of all, that we have to keep the economy shut down, but it's Trump's fault that the economy is shut down. And the idea that Trump mishandled the pandemic. The RNC played a video of Democrats praising Trump's actions during the pandemic. Here's that video. He said everything that I could have hoped for. Promise made, promise kept. He is ready, willing, and able to help. He has been responsive. He's done a lot of good things. What the federal government did was a phenomenal accomplishment. In our hour of need, you all literally are helping us in a big way. We were at the edge, and this is life or death stuff, and we're forever thankful for that. So this has driven the press insane. The New York Times has just become this petty hate site. It's not even a big hate site. It's just petty, evil, not, you know, nastiness. So Trump had the FDA give emergency approval to that plasma treatment. The New York Times headlines the fact that in Hong Kong, one person has been found who seems to have re-succumbed to the flu. So maybe maybe those antibodies aren't don't work so well after all. Uh, they actually had a, another headline today saying that the statistic that this treatment saved 35% of the people, it, it actually helped uh, resulted in 35% fewer deaths, about a third fewer deaths, uh, that this was totally untrue. It was 20% fewer deaths. Well, there are many different studies, some 50%, some 20% uh, of various reliability, but that's the whole point of an emergency clearance from the FDA. We haven't had time to do the testing. They are getting out of the way. They're cutting red tape so we can get more help to more people. Hopefully, if it works, if it doesn't, obviously you put the restrictions back in place. You know, there's an excellent piece in the Claremont Review of Books by William Vogley, uh, talking about the difficulties a government of free people has in dealing with this kind of emergency. That when we think about this, what we are comparing the government to is some kind of imaginary, omnicompetent government uh, that knows everything in advance and that doesn't have a bureaucracy. Bureaucracies, remember, are meant to slow things down. The FDA is not a bad organization. It is there to slow down processes so we don't get medicines that kill us. But of course, because it's a bureaucracy, it simply gets bigger and bigger and more and more onerous so that you can't get, you can't test medicines when you need them. When people are dying, it's not a bad thing to let them have experimental medicines if they're going to die anyway. This is one of the things that uh, Trump has done with his right to try regulations. Let people try. If they're going to die, there's no point in just telling them to go off and die and decrease the surplus population. No, you know, they should be able to use medicines that haven't been approved yet. Of course they should. It's ridiculous that they can't. So the FDA is not a bad organization per se. Just like every bureaucracy gets in the way. And it is one of the reasons that we had the disastrous glitch in testing at the very beginning of the pandemic. But the way the press compares our handling of the pandemic to other countries is simply a standing lie to compare the United States of America to outcomes in countries the size of Britain or Germany, which are the size of one of our states and have do not have the diversity of our states, is simply unfair. The New York Times, really a former newspaper, they are still having the rate that people are coming down with the disease, which is wholly a function, wholly a function of testing. We have better testing. Trump has made sure that the testing has gotten out there. And so there's going to be a lot more people tested. We have a lot more uh, idea of how many people are coming down with this. 
So that doesn't mean anything. Death rates are a much better way of looking at it, but death rates where? Death rates where? If you're comparing Britain, the size of Oregon, to our entire country, but you know, why not compare it to one state, New York or Oregon or South Dakota? All of them have different rates. And of course, if you took out uh, the tri-state area, meaning Connecticut, New Jersey, and New York, it would, it would be a tremendous change. I mean, we, it would something like our, it would mean our death rates would go down uh, maybe 30%. Yeah, they'd be 30% lower if you just took out this tri-state area. So that means we should be talking about Andrew Cuomo and how he handled this. But instead, they're glorifying him and making him the hero of the day. They also have this thing they do, which is just awful. Uh, I got this off uh, Just the Facts Daily, where they have been selling this narrative that conservative conservative states, Republican states, which have a tendency to want to reopen. They understand the economy is just as big an issue as the disease. They have a tendency to want more freedom, to not want mandates on masks. They have The press has been selling them, selling the narrative that they are doing worse under the Chinese flu than blue states, which is the opposite of the truth. Just the facts quotes a bunch of uh, different headlines. In Arkansas, home to Trump sycophant Senator Tom Cotton, a debacle is unfolding, says the Washington Post. Americans didn't fail the COVID-19 test. Republicans did, says Paul Krugman of the New York Times. Republicans continue to peddle denial for political reasons. The Miami Herald, if coronavirus has revealed anything, it's that proud ignorance and do-nothing dangerous is largely a Republican pro- uh, problem. That's Jill uh, Filipovic at CNN. But the fact is that the death rates in red states are better than the death rates in blue states. Uh, Florida is doing much better. Georgia doing much better and their economy doing much better. Remember, Georgia was the, the poster child for evil Republican governance. And there's something else about this, too. And this is this is what I want to get back to, this idea that Trump has reformed the Republican Party into the working man's party. So it's not true before and is something that other conservatives have not caught up to. You know, conservatives consider themselves the party of small businesses and of business. And basically, they don't want to do anything that affects business. But that's ridiculous. Business is a power center. Carol Markowitz at the New York Post writes throughout this crisis, she's in New York. So she says we've seen a division. One group, the pajama wearers, can work from home indefinitely, never leaving their couches. They happily collect their checks and spend their time smug in the satisfaction that they have handled this pandemic flawlessly. They bake bread. They buy a Peloton bike. They should get a national honest cheaper, but never mind. They post Instagram pictures of sunrises from vacation homes. They're happy to listen to every backward directive from elective officials. They haven't suffered like their fellow New Yorkers. The second group has either worked through the lockdown or had sleepless nights wondering if their business will ever reopen. They've contended with ever-changing rules, ever-deferred opening dates, and constant attacks on their livelihoods. Like everything the Democrats do, it's they serve, their, their terror narrative serves the elite. It serves the elite. And that, you know, I, I mean, to me, that is the whole thing, that this, this whole message that's coming across from the Republicans, that they are there for the people and Trump is for the people despite his bumptious personality. I just have to end with one thing, one quick point. The post office, this nonsense post office thing that I don't want to even want to cover, that the post office is somehow a conspiracy. Uh, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy is testifying on Capitol Hill. In 30 seconds, he destroys the entire narrative they've been selling about him. Play this clip. I did not direct the removal of blue collection boxes or the removal of mail processing equipment. Second, I did not direct the cutback on hours at any of our post offices. And finally, I did not direct the elimination or any cutback in overtime. 
I did, however, suspend these practices to, to remove any misperceptions about our commitment to delivering the nation's election mail. Any further assertions by the media or elected officials is furthering a false narrative to the American people. Do you think that Democrats would further a false narrative? This thing is falling apart. It's just falling apart. So listen to Nancy Pelosi panic and up the rhetoric. Sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and wow. our honoring our Constitution uh, are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue with their allies in the Congress of the United States. They're doing everything they can suppress the vote uh, uh, with your actions, scare people, intimidate right. by saying law enforcement will be there, uh, uh, diminish the role of the of the postal system in all of this. It's really actually shameful. Enemies of the state. Enemies of the state. The Republican Party and the president are enemies of the state. They are uh, domestic enemies. Remember, they have to defend the Constitution from enemies, foreign and domestic. She says these are that we, you and I, are the domestic enemies. It's not divisive, not too divisive. Hey, I forgot to say that the mailbox, the mailbag, the mailbag is tomorrow. No one wonder I forgot to say, I forgot what it's called. The mailbag is tomorrow. Subscribe to dailywire.com. Send me your questions, whatever you want to ask about your personal life, religion, politics. All my answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life. Maybe for the better. You'll have to tune in tomorrow. I'll be here. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director is Pavel Wadowski. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, or head and makeup, by Nika Geneva. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental. And that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen.